0: Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. I'm Kelly McCreary, and this is How It Is, the show where you hear women tell their own stories in their own words. We're unfiltered, real, and totally ourselves. On this episode, what is Home. How do we define it? And how do we find it?
1: You're a queen.
0: You know that old saying, home is where the heart is? Well, I'm really feeling that these days. Home can be a physical space, but it is also a feeling. Or a meal your mom used to make you. Or a person. Some of us have wonderful relationships with the homes we grew up in. And some of us have homes we had to flee. But one thing we can all relate to is the human need to have a place to call home. I've traveled so much for work in my life that I feel most at home in the place where I've got a comfy bed and a good cup of coffee. So my first night in any place, I make sure I go to the grocery store, get some good coffee beans, and wake up in the morning, make my coffee, get back in bed, get cozy, read my emails, see what's in the news, sipping my coffee, and feeling right at home. Where do you feel most at home?
1: Home is... A combination of Los Angeles and England. I can't give either up. I'm in a polygamous relationship with both countries. Home is in Clark, South Dakota. That's my home now. But I will always call Topeka, Kansas home, where I grew up. And
0: now home is really LA. (laughs) There's a shirt that says LA is my home. I would definitely agree with that one.
2: Home is New York City. I've been living in Brooklyn since I was 17, and I'm now 34 oh my god, it's half my life. I just realized that in the moment. I would still consider Kentucky home. That's where my
1: family still lives, and my parents as well. I don't get to go home very often. Uh, My job requires me to be on tour. When you are an immigrant person, you're always in search of home.
0: Today, we're going to hear stories about finding home from three women. The hilarious comedian Phoebe Robinson, the introspective musician Michelle Zauner, and journalist Liana Agajanian. We're going to start off with the most literal definition of home, buying your first house with your person. For a lot of millennials, owning a home seems more like a pipe dream than the American dream. (laughs) A combination of the 2008 financial crisis, student loans, and a preference for living in expensive cities all contribute to a home ownership rate that is 8% lower than their parents. But still, for many people, the ability to buy your own house is the apex of adulting. Phoebe Robinson, who you might know from one of my favorite podcasts and the HBO show Two Dope Queens, recently put down roots with her own place in Park Slope, Brooklyn. On top of purchasing her apartment, she also moved in with her boyfriend, who she's affectionately named British Bake Off.
2: I wanted to buy a place. I've been saving for a really long time, and I was like, you know, New York real estate is expensive, but it's like, if you're renting after a while, you just feel like you're throwing money away. And so I really wanted to use it as a potential investment opportunity. I think I do what a lot of annoying people do, is like I start watching HGTV.
0: Clean lines, clean colors. We have ceiling height cabinets, because not only does it give you more storage, it also pulls the eye all the way up and makes the room feel so much bigger.
2: And thinking that I'm like, oh, this has good bones. I never ever said the phrase "good bones," but as soon as I was apartment hunting, everything had good bones, and I was sort of, you know, you really are just trying to imagine what is my life gonna look like in this place for ten years, which is something I never really had to think about before. It's just like, oh, a year. Then if I want to stay here, I'll renew it. But this was like for the next decade. What do I want my life to look like with Bay and we really didn't have any conflict when we were apartment hunting, which I know sounds lame as hell, but I think we just really wanted to have a good place that we could call home because we had been long distance for a year. And so I was just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> it's too hard. And he was kind of feeling the the strain of just being long distance. And so we really were just like, let's just find a home that's going to be great for us. I think one of the first times the apartment felt like home was when we got our sheets from Brooklinen. I'm always just like, I'll get whatever, like, cheapy sheets. And he was like, Phoebe, this is our bed. You, can, you don't need to be cheap when it comes to our bed. And so we got the Brooklinen sheets, and... We had like been running around like crazy, like traveling back and forth as we were like moving into the apartment. So it was just chaos for weeks. And then we got the sheets and then we were so tired and we got to bed and we ordered pizza from Two Boots. He was like, do you want to watch romantic comedy? And I was like, yes. And we watched When Harry Met Sally in bed eating New York style pizza. You know, the first time we met, I really didn't like you that much. I didn't like you. Yeah, you did. You were just so uptight then. You're much softer now. You know, I hate that kind of remark. It sounds like a compliment, but really it's an insult. Okay, you're still as hard as nails. And I just was like, this is like what I want my life to be. And it was just like really one of those like great moments. If you have a good bed, you're just like, that's all you need, honestly. When British Bake Off and I moved in, he does this with a heavy sigh. He's like, I know you have a lot of YouTube paraphernalia. And I'm just going to say we can't have any of it in the bedroom. Which I was like, that's fair. Because, you know, like I always like I had crushes on them when I was like, you know, younger or whatever. And so I have a picture of Larry in the bathroom. And I have a picture of Bonbon bon in the office. And that's Bono. And he approved me calling him Bonbon. Bon. Uh he actually it actually s- slipped out of me. I didn't mean to say I was like hanging out with him at a party as you do. And I was like, "Oh, bon bon." And then he just like started laughing. And I was like, "Can I call you bon bon?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's fine." <laughs> but they're not allowed in the bedroom. So, I'm not religious. I'm agnostic. I didn't really grow up religious. Bay's not really religious either, but he like loves Christmas so we're going to like decorate the apartment and get like a Christmas tree I've never had a Christmas tree I've never had Christmas ornaments and like the mistletoe like I've never had mistletoe before and so we're going to do the whole thing and make like the teas and the snacks and stuff so I'm really excited just sort of like do, like, a very romantic comedy version of what Christmas is and, like, all the cheer and all that stuff. So that's the thing I'm most excited about. i like, playing Nat King Cole in the background. I, like, I love that stuff. So I'm, I'm really jazzed.
1: Chestnuts roasting on an open file Jack Frost nipping at your nose
2: I think my definition of home has definitely Changed because you know I grew up in Ohio in the suburbs, and you know my parents didn't really travel for work, and so it was just sort of home was like an address, like that's for sure, like your home where you live, where all your things are. And then when I moved to New York, I was like, New York is home, but Cleveland is still home. And then it took me a while. Like when I first moved to New York, I remember Freshmeer. I was like crying for like two weeks. I was like, this isn't, I always wanted to live in New York. I watched Felicity and I was like, I'm going to be like her. I don't have the curly hair, but I'm going to have two guys fighting over me and wear chunky sweaters. And then no guys fought over me at all. <laughs> I couldn't get a date in college. And then I got to this place where I was like, okay, and now New York is home. And I think... Because I travel so much for work, a lot of times to LA, but other places as well. And Bay travels so much for work. Sometimes I'm like, home is just if the two of us are together. And it could just really feel, like, really nice and cozy, just, like, be somewhere for, like, four or five days. Like, we went to Bend, Oregon for a friend's birthday, and I'd never been. And we just airbnb this, like, super cute house. Of course, I don't live in Bend, Oregon, but I was like, this feels like home because he's here, and we're making breakfast together. And so I think it's wherever the two of us are together. Girl, same. I can totally
0: relate to that. You have to make home wherever you are. And sometimes just having a certain someone with you is enough. Having to leave your home because of political or social turmoil is one of the most traumatic experiences a person can go through. We got to hear a little bit about that from Fatuma Hussein in our escape episode a few weeks back. Armenian American journalist Liana Agajanian, whose work you've seen in The Atlantic, The New York Times, and Newsweek, was just a toddler when her family had to flee their home in Tehran, Iran. They came to Los Angeles as refugees and built their new home among the large diaspora community in LA. Her family moved close to each other and anchored their home with traditional meals they cooked and ate together. But Liana always felt torn between her two identities the culture of her home, and the culture outside her home. That is, until she won, yes I said won, a home of her own in Detroit, a city she'd never even visited before.
3: Growing up in Los Angeles, I don't know if I had a concept of what Los Angeles was on a larger scale. Uh, My memories of growing up are really surrounded by what happened in my home. It was very different than what was happening outside of my home. And so the environment that I grew up in, whether it was my parents' home or my aunts' and uncles' houses or the places that we would go to shop, for example, I very vividly remember. When I would go shopping with my mom, it wasn't just going to the local chain supermarket. It was going to the local chain supermarket and then going to the local uh, specific butcher that she would go to, and then going to the deli, and then going to the bakery. So it was stores that carried things that she could find back home. The food element made up such a huge, huge part of why my home life and my outside life was so different, because uh at the food that was being served at school things i had never heard of like sloppy joes i had no concept of what that was so it was just very odd to me and the flavors were different i mean i guess that's where it started from where i was it was just a big defining factor in the differences that i saw my weekends consisted of every single member in my family getting together to cook shish kebab. You know, when we'd come back from vacation or just the weekend and someone would ask me what I did, that was always my answer. I wasn't, I didn't really go out to movies like that. All my time was spent with my family. That really was a defining factor for me growing up and it, it smothered me too. Uh, I felt just it was too much and everyone was not everyone's business. And um, we spent a lot of time together, and so that really kind of emphasized that, you know, family bond and family structure. And if they could still have me at home, they would. And I'm over 30, so that was a very big thing for me. My grandmother's house was one street away from where I lived, And that house was two streets away from where my aunts lived. And so we were all kind of in the same three mile radius. Uh, And I spent a lot of time at her house, both with her and my grandfather. Weekends I would sleep over there. I think it was probably the only place I was allowed to sleep over. But one of the most defining features of her house was her garden. She had lemon trees and orange trees and strawberries and every kind of vegetable or fruit you can imagine just growing in her backyard. So I ended up moving to Detroit in the middle of winter in February. For a Californian, it was very brutal. I think it started to feel like home maybe a year in. The first year was just exploring Detroit, what it means, how I fit in here, uh, how I can contribute in a positive way here. After that, I think it started feeling a bit more like, okay, I can be a part of this place and I've kind of figured out my own way to be part of that. And in that second year was when actually I started planting things in the garden. I did not have that in my life since I was in my grandmother's backyard. The two things that I added that I had always wanted that are very relevant culturally was a fig tree and a pomegranate tree. I made sure that I was getting... Uh, a pomegranate tree and fig tree that were appropriate for this zone for the winter months. This year the fig tree gave fruit, which was very exciting. I've felt that this is my home. I guess obvious things like having your own space and also having the ability to plant things and grow things, but also really it's because of the relationships I've made in amongst all that, the kinds of things we've shared together, where, whether it's a, a day or a meal, really, it goes back to the theme of, you know, what makes home for me. It's not a place. It's just the people you're around and the things that you can share together. So it's a feeling that you can replicate and find anywhere if the ingredients are right. I mean that both symbolically and literally. Detroit has felt like the right place for me to be right now in my life and it's fit and because of that it has felt like a home. I don't know what the future holds, I don't know how long I will be here, but I know that it's something, it's a place that I'm always going to carry with me, it's a place I'm always going to defend and it's a place that I've found long-lasting relationships that will be around for a lifetime.
0: Yes, finding community is crucial. And I like the idea that we can make our home wherever we are at a particular time in our lives. And I just love that Liana is planting a garden to recall her grandmother's garden. I mean, I hate to be too heavy-handed about it, but she's planting seeds. She's making new roots. This is what home is all about. Our next storyteller, Michelle Zauner, is a musician and songwriter who performs under the name Japanese Breakfast, and she's also a brilliant writer. In a recent piece she wrote for The New Yorker magazine titled Crying in H Mart, Michelle describes how the act of shopping in the Korean grocery store H Mart brought back so many memories of her mom, who she considered her connection to her Korean heritage. A simple thing as a certain brand of instant noodles can instantly take her back home. And I totally get that. Nothing can transport me back to my childhood like cream of wheat. That red box totally just represents my family home. For Michelle, the connection between food and home became even more emotional after losing her mother to cancer.
1: I think I've always had a close emotional connection to food. And I think that part of it is that I've always really struggled with the Korean language. And I didn't have many Korean friends. But something that always felt very inherently Korean is that I have a Korean palate, I enjoy Korean food, and I think that was this kind of like reassurance from my mom all the time. Like if I ate something, she would be kind of surprised. Oh, you like that? You're eating this in a very Korean way. And I think that that reassurance was like always really comforting to me and it made me feel closer to my mom. I remember when I would go To college, my mom would always make my favorite meal for when I came back, and she would start the process, like, a week before because she knew that I liked radish kimchi, really sour. So she would buy the kimchi a week before. Then she would buy short rib two days before to make sure that it was, like, marinated perfectly. And so when I came home after a long flight from Philadelphia to Eugene, she would have this, like, amazing spread for me. So I've always just really associated food with caretaking and love. That got, you know, really intense um, for a number of reasons. When my mom was sick, because all of a sudden, this thing that we really loved together, uh, she couldn't enjoy anymore because chemo had, like, destroyed not only her gut, but her her mouth. She was very sensitive, so she couldn't even eat kimchi, and that was really painful. And then I think it got even more intense after my mom passed away because it became sort of my way with, of reconnecting with her and I think kind of psychologically undoing that sort of guilt that I had to learn how to make those things that she ate when she was sick. That's what I wanted to eat after she died and I just felt really, I think, also concerned that I had kind of lost my cultural access point point. and if I ever have kids, what will I pass on from my heritage? Just, does it die with her? And it made me so sad to think this huge part of my life would be gone if I didn't do something about it. And so I think that the easiest way for me to reconnect with that my culture was was to to get more involved with cooking and just made me feel very close to my mom. So when my mom got sick and I moved to be with her in Eugene, those 6 months were kind of the last concentrated period of time that i had with her in a while i think part of that is why when my mom died it was very difficult for me to remember her and our time together before she got sick i don't feel like people talk about it enough or i don't feel like i was exposed to a lot of experiences of living with someone with an illness but it's very very traumatic To watch someone you love deteriorate, it's still very, very hard for me to talk about and and to think about, and it just made me so sad to think that all of the beautiful experiences that I had with my mom were being overshadowed by chemotherapy and watching her lose her hair and it wreaking havoc and trying so hard to keep her alive and, and failing. Um, and when I would dream of my mom, she would always be sick. And that was so haunting for me. People might be more familiar with the Japanese name. You know when you get uh, frozen yogurt and they have little mochi? We have that in Korea, too, and we ca- it's like a type of thok. It's like rice cakes, little rice cakes. And when I was a kid and I would go to Korea every other summer, there was this dessert called Su, which was um, it's kind of like a Korean snow cone, and they put um, this like sweet grain powder with sweet red beans and like cut fruit and condensed milk and these little thug these little rice cakes that I saw, and it was summertime and I just saw this package, and it felt like for the first time in a really long time I just had a good memory. It was like. It cleared the way for a second. One of the first times that I went to H Mart, and after I saw that, I was just like, I have to get this. This is this is therapy. And so I bought the rice cakes, and then I bought the red beans, and I bought the sweet grain powder, and I went to the appliance section, and they had like an ice chopper thing. And I just bought it all because I was just like, this is therapy. You know, for some people therapy works really well. I really tried on maybe 3 or 4 therapists and I just it wasn't helpful for me and it was really inconvenient and instead of spending $50 a week, I'm going to spend $200 a month on a different form of self-care and part of that was starting to take um Korean language lessons on Skype and part of it was going and spending it on on Korean groceries and it was honestly what really helped me start remembering my mom in this way that wasn't so traumatic anymore and and that's kind of a big part of my experience was um yeah recreating what my home used to be like before this illness entered our lives and and ruined everything i find myself talking like her sometimes um or you know, just reacting to things in the same way that she did, you know. I was so upset at her when I was a kid, and she would get so mad at me for spilling a glass of water. When my husband spills something on the floor, I find myself getting that same exact, you know, just complete eruption of anger. And it's kind of bad in a way because, you know, I find myself celebrating qualities about her that weren't totally... Uh, good qualities, but because they're hers, you know, I really embrace them. Um, but yeah, I think I, I feel like I keep my mother alive just by being her. And the other day I like brought up her Korean cooking portable stove and I put it on our kitchen table and I I made chicken barbecue Kelby, Um And I, I live in the way that she taught me how to live, um, which was just like I feel like we were always celebrating at home in like small ways, you know, and, and part of that was planning a really fun dinner. Like, you know, we always eat this on a certain holiday and she just had like a very joyous way of living and, and interacting with other people. And I think I try to bring that into my home in a lot of ways to kind of just to play in your everyday life. That's part of what she she taught me of how to run a home. Hmm.
0: We keep people alive in our homes and in our hearts, however we can. Thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story and reminding us of this incredible gift we have. As I reflect on these stories, I just have to say, we are so resilient as human beings— It's inevitable that we're going to grow up and we're going to have to go out on our own and fend for ourselves, but our homes are part of our identity and not necessarily a particular place. And we have the power to create those homes however we see fit. Okay, friends, that brings us to the end of Season 3 of How It Is. Thank you for going on this journey with me from adventures to unexpected encounters to escape to souvenirs to finding home. The gift of hearing the wisdom of these 15 women is a souvenir I am taking with me forever. Don't forget, if you missed any of the episodes or you want to catch up on our previous seasons, look for How It Is on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And let's keep the conversation going, shall we? Use hashtag howitis on social media and find more from the show at hello-sunshine.com. We love hearing from you, so don't hold back. On this season 3 finale of How It Is, you heard from Phoebe Robinson, Michelle Zauner, and Liana Agajanian. I'm Kelly McCreary, and I am an artist, an activist, a podcast host, an adventurer, a producer, a lifelong learner, an idealist, a karaoke lover, and I have had a wonderful time with you this season. See you next time. Hello, sunshine. It's a beautiful... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll try that again. <laughs>